Father, we praise you. Lord, we thank you for the one who is God with us. Lord, that you came robed in flesh to bear our burdens, to bear our sin, to bear the wrath that we deserve. And Lord, we come into this Christmas season, Lord, and we reflect on your coming. We reflect on on what you brought with you when you came. Lord, last week, the hope of your arrival, the hope that we have in this life, and today, peace. Lord, the peace that you give us that passes all understanding, that brings unity to the world through the death and resurrection of your Son. And Father, I pray, Lord, that as we come to this time of your word being proclaimed as we reflect on these things, as we reflect on your coming. Lord, I pray that you would renew our hearts. Lord, that you would refresh us, that you would encourage us. Lord, if necessary, would you bring us to our knees so that we might follow you faithfully, that we might worship you wholeheartedly, not only in song, Lord, but with our lives. And so we come to hear from you. Lord, we pray over our pastor. Lord, we pray, Father, that you would speak by your spirit through him. Lord, that the words that are said would be received by each of us. And Lord, that we would leave this place more like you. We worship you and we adore you. Be with us now. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Good to see you this morning. Uh, can you hear me okay? Okay, good. Um, you know, in the days of uh, of Moses, the Lord, in Numbers chapter 6, and we're not going to go there, so just listen. But the Lord spoke to Moses and said this, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, and this was the blessing, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That word peace is where we're uh, going today. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. But this, this blessing that the Lord would give them peace, make his face to shine upon them and give them peace peace. That Hebrew word is a, if you don't know any Hebrew, you might know this word. The word is shalom. Uh, and it's not just the absence of conflict. A lot of times when we hear the word peace, uh, we, we think of it in conjunction with possibly war, right? There's a very famous novel, War and Peace. And so a lot of times we think of peace as the absence of conflict, the absence of war. But the Hebrew concept was, was quite a bit more broad. 
It was more than just absence of conflict. It was a, uh, a state of being intact. Everything was complete and everything was well, um, prosperous, successful. The word occurs uh, about 240 times in the Old Testament. vast majority of the time it's translated as peace, but sometimes as well or prosperous or something like that. But that's what, that's what this prayer is for. Okay, as, as the Lord gives instruction to Moses to give instruction to Aaron and his sons, pronounce this over the people, this kind of a blessing. Okay, The Israelites longed for peace. And that's kind of where we're, we're going to jump off. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, we're only going to read verses 6 and 7, the parts that you are most familiar with. And so if you are physically able, I would ask you to uh, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Uh, we'll read just these two verses and then jump in. Verse 6 begins, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And notice that phrase of the increase of his government and of peace. So not only the increase of his power but of peace there will be no end. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word, and Lord, I pray that you would speak. Lord, I'm, I'm grateful that uh, you continue to watch over us, even in the, the craziest of times. Lord, I pray that you would continue to, to uh, speak. And Lord, as we focus specifically on peace this morning, God, I pray that you'd give us understanding from your word. But more than that, God, I pray that you would stir in our hearts uh, the question of whether or not we have peace. So, Lord, I pray for each person within the sound of my voice, each, each heart, uh, each family, God, that you would speak and that you would, uh, that, God, you would stir in each one of us, God. Help us. Help us to hear you clearly and to respond in the way that you would lead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we mentioned peace. This was the pronouncement in number 6 that I just read. That Aaron, Aaron and his sons were to bless the people and to pray over them with. But uh, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that Israel did not know peace. They never knew peace. From the beginning, even, at, even in Genesis where the, the call... Uh, mankind, there, there's conflict. There's conflict between the serpent and Eve and Adam and Eve. There's always been conflict, but specific to Israel, you can trace their history and there was always situations. We find in uh, at the end of the book of Genesis, they are enslaved in Egypt. And if you start the book of Exodus, God blesses. And they are increasing and multiplying and just 
growing by leaps and bounds. And what happens? Is this good for the Egyptians? No, they, they figure out, Pharaoh at the beginning of Exodus figures out this, this might not be good. And so they, are, they seek to eradicate the Israelites. You remember the, the ploy of using the, the midwives to make sure to destroy the Hebrew baby boys. And so from as early as that, you see the nation just kind of coming into being, fighting for survival. There was no peace with the Egyptians. Even at the end of that period, as they are uh, trying to make their way out, Exodus happens, God does an amazing thing, but even on their way to this promised land, they have run in with people like the Moabites who won't let them go through, Amalekites. I'm going to say a bunch of ites for a minute, okay? Uh, and the Canaanites, remember the Perizzites and Hivites and Jebusites and all those ites and those... Uh, there was constant conflict of this is the land our God has given us. He has taken you away from it because of your unrighteousness and our God is giving this land to us. But throughout the book of Joshua and Judges, it is a, it's constant confrontation. The Midianites oppressed the people in the days of Gideon. The Philistines. We find as we move into the time of a monarchy that David and Solomon, Saul included, always were having trouble with Philistines. If you think about the books of Kings and Chronicles, a lot of the way that whole book is structured is... This king was good or bad in how they obeyed the covenant, but then what happened in their reign? It talks about who they fought. And if you think about our own study of history, a lot of times history books are set up that way from one war to the next. Maybe a little bit of digging into what got us there, but a lot of times it's who fought on what side and what was the results of the fight. And that's a little bit the way of Israelite history. And then after Solomon, we even find that they're fighting amongst themselves. Kingdom splits, and a lot of times there was Israel fighting Judah. Israel would team up with Assyria and fight Judah, and there'd be some sort of civil war going on. Speaking of Assyria, we saw the Egyptians trying to eradicate. I did that on purpose. Notice those both started with E. Isn't that good? And the Assyrians were trying to annihilate, right? Look at that. Two in a row, same letter. The Assyrians were trying to annihilate. You see a group of people bloodthirsty, ready to just completely wipe a country off the map. That gives over to the Babylonians, and I couldn't come up with a good B, but they wanted to assimilate. And here's what I mean by that. Nebuchadnezzar's strategy was not to just wipe somebody out, not to just subdue them with an iron fist. Now, he was an authority, and quite prideful of his authority, but he also wanted to make the people so much like being Babylonians that they didn't care about being Israelites anymore. Fast forward on into New Testament times, and the same thing happened then with Persians and then Greeks and then Romans. But specifically to Isaiah's time period, Israel had never known peace. And so in that context... We want to think about what Isaiah is saying. And we're going to look here at 9, but I want to look at two other places just to see. Because Isaiah is so, our Western brains, wants to just start at beginning of a book and read straight through, 
right? And everything kind of follow chronologically and in a linear fashion. But the prophetic works often do not work that way. Sometimes they are somewhat chronological, but you read a poem and then there's a narrative section and then there's a poem or three and then there's a sermon and you don't know where to piece all of it together. But I want to look at three kind of instances at Isaiah 2, at Isaiah 9, and Isaiah 11 and just thinking this idea of wanting peace and longing for peace. As a nation, they had not known it. As individual people, they probably had not known a lot of it. So think about, let's turn over to Isaiah 2. Just start at verse 1 with me in Isaiah chapter 2. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days. All right, so this is prophetic, definitely. This is looking forward for them. They didn't know how long that would be. Uh, still probably somewhat prophetic for us at looking forward, okay? But a lot of times these prophecies had near fulfillment and then later fulfillment. But, but it's definitely later for them. That the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. So there, the, the prophet here is looking to a time when Israel is not in conflict with all the other nations, but that they are lifted up above all of them. That's the symbolism here of using mountains and hills kind of terminology. I don't believe it's a literal that that's going to rise topographically. It could be, but I think it's more symbolic imagery here that Israel will rise above all of the neighboring nations that they are always in conflict with. Over Egypt over the Canaanites, over the Moabites, over Rome, over Persia, over, okay? And all the nations shall flow to it, okay? So rather than trying to crush, oppress, and subdue, eradicate, annihilate, assimilate, they will come to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, Yahweh, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, Torah, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. All right, so here's the picture. Instead of fighting, all of these people are going to flock to want to subject themselves to the reign of Yahweh. You see that? Let's go so that he will teach us his ways, so that we will be exposed to his law, so that we will come under him. All right, so at, it, now what will he do? Verse 4, he shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. I think that's one of the most beautiful metaphors in all of scripture. Okay, the instruments of war not needed anymore, beaten into instruments for vocation, right? You're going to be growing stuff. There's going to be stuff to plant and grow and harvest. You don't need that metal for a sword anymore. It can be a plow, right? Nations shall not lift up sword against nations, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So you notice how this is functioning. The prophet says, this is what's coming, so now... 
house of Jacob, Israel, let us walk in the light of Yahweh. All nations are going to flock to him to be taught his ways and to learn his law. This, there's a day coming when this will take place where swords will be beaten into plowshares. So let us now. We know his law. We know his light. We, we know what he desires. We know his covenant. We know what he has asked of us. So regardless of all that's going on around us, let us faithfully walk in this. Y'all see that? Isaiah is using this prophecy to encourage his own people to walk in that peace that they can know now. Even when there's tons of chaos around, there can be peace with knowing God and following God in what he's revealed. Y'all with me? All right, let's go ahead then to Isaiah 9 where we first read. And I'm not going to turn you there, but in Isaiah 7, there was prophecy of a virgin conceiving and giving birth, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, that we sang about in our worship time this morning. God with us, okay? So in a previous couple of chapters, and we don't know exactly, did Isaiah just sit down and write straight? Probably not, okay? There's probably collected and then put together. But there's other evidence of the child being born that's going to bring about peace that they had never known, Okay? And that's where that's where our text, and of course it's a, you know, when I started reading it, you knew it, okay? This this text of unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. But I want you to see that Isaiah's focus quickly moves past the manger, right? Quickly. Now when we think Christmas, we think Mary and Joseph and their travel to Bethlehem and there's no room in the end. But here in this text, Isaiah moves past manger quick. Okay, unto us a child is born, a son is given. And quickly it's all about his rule and his authority. Okay, the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. All right, the one... As a nation, you are existing. You're you're being encouraged even in the midst of all of the chaos around you. One day, all nations will desire, will want to subject themselves to the reign of Yahweh. So hang in there, right? That was kind of the message of Isaiah 2. Let us persist. Let us walk in faith. Here now, there's this point to... All right, here's how this is going to kind of flesh itself out. God is going to send his anointed one, his Messiah, this this child that's going to be born, that is going to reign and rule. And his reign is not going to be like the reign of the Egyptians, okay? That was all about power and eradicating any kind of um, rival, it's not going to be like the Assyrians to completely annihilate. It's not even going to be like the Babylonians that le- seek to assimilate. This is a rule that is established in justice and righteousness. Okay. Now again, we know by the rest of Scripture, that doesn't mean it's hunky-dory for everybody, right? You've got to subject yourself, every knee and every tongue bow and confess Christ as Lord. But His reign is not predicated simply on his power he has he is mighty in power right it says mighty god but again the increase of his government and of peace 
of it being well, of there being, of the being prosperous, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, he establishes it, upholds it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And you just think throughout history there have been dynasties and kingdoms arise and every one of them does what? They fall. Every one. You study throughout history. At some point in time there was nation, there was king, there was dynasty, there was something that all of the contemporaries would have said there's there's that'll that'll last forever and it didn't last forever the prophet led by the holy spirit is here speaking to the fact that no matter how good a king may be he may be a lot like david and a lot like solomon and a lot like hezekiah and a lot like josiah But there's coming one who will reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And his reign is established by justice and righteousness. Not evil power, not corruption, but with truth and justice and righteousness. And so this is what they're looking forward to then in Isaiah 11. If you will, flip a page there and look at Isaiah 11. This is even more specific messianic, okay? I think 9 is very messianic, looking to this one that's coming, but 11 is even more specific when it points out the family. Verse 11, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, okay? Now, very symbolic way of speaking to the Davidic line, okay? Now, by the time of Isaiah 11 here, uh, this... King, this this dynasty had fallen into um, disrepute. Let me put it that way. Okay, and there's an image then of this great mighty tree being chopped down, and all that's left is a stump. Okay, that all all that's good for now is to be burned up. That's kind of the image. But then out of the ashes of what was completely broken down, God follows through and brings about his promises, okay? There's this this shoot of life from what was left for dead, okay? And so it's, it's speaking of that Davidic dynasty. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might. Notice those words. They're the same kind of words used as titles in Isaiah 9. Y'all remember? Wonderful counselor, mighty God. Here you got the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. Again, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked now this has gotten a little more specific than isaiah 9 was right isaiah 9 he would reign there would be peace and he would reign but it was kind of like peace for everybody a little bit 
I had to kind of press this a little further. Isaiah 11 gives us a little more information. This isn't just peace for everybody. This is peace for those who are righteous. Those who are not righteous, what happens? He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Now, look at this image here, these next few verses. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. That wouldn't necessarily normally happen. Amen? That wouldn't happen today. Okay? The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. I've never seen a leopard in person that I remember. Maybe I saw it at at a zoo. But I don't think that would be a good situation for the goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. Okay? Don't get lost in the just this is scripture. Understand that this is not how things are now. And the problem is that all of everything is under the curse. Okay? And so the prophet here is speaking to a time when there is such peace that a wolf will lie down with a lamb, okay? And it doesn't end there, but it keeps going on. The, ba- the cow and the bear shall graze, and the, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the lord as the waters cover the sea in that day the root of jesse who shall stand as a signal for the people of him shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious okay so in the time here of isaiah the prophet There is stirring within the people of desiring peace. They had never known peace. They want this peace that they've heard of in their scriptures, this peace that the the priest would bless over them, that the Lord would make his face to shine upon them, and his peace would be on them. They're looking for, and they realize that it's going to come through this son of David this Messiah, this time where swords are beaten into plowshares, where nursing children are playing over the hole of a cobra. This is what they long for. And so when we think of Advent, it's a little bit of what we're thinking for is peace. But peace in the way that they were wanting it is, 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 a, is a good kind of analogy for us. See, we we don't yet have everything that's prophesied here in Isaiah 11. I kind of referenced it somewhat jokingly, but I wouldn't suggest placing a nursing child over the hole of a cobra, right? Amen? that That wouldn't be very wise in our time. Why? We're still groaning in 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 a not yet tension with the prophecies here that Isaiah is pointing to. He's pointing to the time when this king will establish himself with this kind of peace. But if you'll flip over to the New Testament, look in Hebrews chapter 2 with me. Hebrews 2, 
Hebrews chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews quotes from the Psalms. Quotes from Psalm number 8. But let's start reading at verse 5. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? All right, so this is the quote from Psalm 8. What is man, mankind, that you're mindful that you care for him? You've made him... All right, him being man, mankind, for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Okay, so this the psalmist is referencing creation. All right, what is man that you, I mean, the psalmist, and I believe probably David here, but the psalmist is, is, is groaning with, why do you care about us, God? But yet I look and I know from your word and your scripture, you have made us this masterpiece of creation. You have put, we are to rule over and have dominion over everything. You put everything in subjection to mankind. Now look, then the writer of Hebrews wrestles with that thought a little bit. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, being man, he left nothing outside his control. Now listen to this, look at this, I think this is, so refreshing, okay? This is a preacher who is wrestling with something, trying to work it out himself, I think. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, right? He's saying, look, I know this is going to be this way because your word spoke it from the very beginning. This is how mankind was created, to be God's masterpiece, to reign over and rule over and subdue all of creation. Yet we don't see that yet. Not only with how man relates to the natural creation of the animal kingdom, but in our own relationships with one another. There is not come a time where evil is done away with. Okay, New philosophies and new strategies and new programs and new ministries has not done away with evil. It's not done away with selfishness. It's not done away with pride. It's not done away with hatred. It's not done away with lust. It's not done away with anger. Then anything that comes from those things. We're still very much in a time that constantly there, there, there is this struggle. And the writer of Hebrews knew that. And he knew his readers knew that. And he's pointed then in verse 9, there's a huge shift that changes what the pronoun's referencing. Okay? This is where we groan. We're still in the same place Israel was, longing for this king who's going to come and establish his reign with peace that there's no end to. But we all know what we feel and face with disease and everything else. And the writer of Hebrews gives us great hope here, I think, in verse 9. But we see him. Okay, Now the him before was mankind. What is man that you're mindful of him? In verse 9, the writer of Hebrews switches the, the reference. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels. And then just so that we don't miss the pronoun change, he tells us, namely Jesus. Okay? Y'all see that? Namely Jesus. We see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels by becoming a man. By, by coming in human flesh. God in the flesh. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God 
he might taste death for everyone. The amazing story that we look forward to at Christmas is that the baby was prophesied to come to be God in the flesh and to come to suffer death for everyone who would trust in him. Let's, let's look exactly what this what our Lord said to us. Look, if you will, in John chapter 14. The writer of Hebrews reminds us that we're still struggling in that not yet, but that we see him who stepped into the not yet and to give us peace and hope that we've been looking forward to, to die the death that we deserve. Jesus in John 14 Start looking at verse 25 with me. John 14, you, you, you know well probably, right? Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The disciples don't know where he's going. And he says, Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And they're still wrestling with, you're going away. And one of us is going to betray. And, and our vocal leader just denied, you know, is, is going to deny you. You just said it's going to deny you three times. This is where they're wrestling. And Jesus says to them in verse 25, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Notice this then. Peace. I leave with you my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. I want you to think about that. They are in shock. They are reeling. They don't know what's going to happen. In a couple of chapters, Jesus prays for them and says, The world hated me, and they're going to hate them. This is not a peace that everything's just always hunky-dory, kind of superficial kind of peace. But Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Okay, A peace that, that regardless of circumstances knows that Christ is with us, walking with us, and taking care of us. That's what he is saying. I'm going to send you a helper so that you can walk through all you're going to have to face. He's not giving the disciples just this great pep talk that there's never going to be loss and defeat and, and disappointment and discouragement. No, it's the exact opposite. But he says, have peace. The peace I leave with you is not like what the world would leave. Last place I want to take you before we kind of try to draw this all together is to the Christmas story, to Luke chapter 2. Another mention of peace that I think will help us to hopefully tie all this together. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, we have the story of the angels, the heavenly host, appearing to the shepherds. 
The scripture says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good, no- good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among, who, among those with whom he is pleased. Did you notice the ESV translation is a little different than the King James there. This peace is among those with whom God is pleased. And so we want to try to draw everything together with this. What about you? Do you have peace? When we think about for Christmas and peace, and peace is a neat neat word to say, throughout the last century, um, you know, people would use the the phrase and uh, to speak of uh, any number of different things, but in the in the sense in which the Scripture speaks of it, this peace that is a a, a wholeness, a wellness regardless of circumstances, a complete trust in God, do you have peace? Because honestly, our our world is not at peace. Our nation is not at peace. So what about you? Do you have peace with your neighbor? And I mean neighbor in the same way that Leviticus means it and the same way that Jesus means it. All those within your sphere that you come in contact with whether you're they live right beside you or live down the road or you interact with them and whatever way do you have peace with your neighbor listen today uh, i think it's uh, pretty hypocritical of us to have all kinds of personal relationships that are broken and come and sing about peace that's we go to the scriptures, Jesus would say very clearly to hold off on giving your offering and go and make peace, go and make restoration. So I want to just ask in this time period where we need each other desperately, we need those around us desperately, are you at peace with your neighbor? Are you at peace with your circumstances? We can't control what's going on around us. We want to, right? We want, we want to do our best to try to control our circumstances. But the simple truth of the matter is, is that we've got virtually no control. Are you at peace with whatever God is doing in and through what we're facing right now? Concerning virus, concerning national unrest, concerning financial uncertainty, concerning you fill in the blank for you. There's a contentment that Paul speaks of in being in Christ. And Paul said in Philippians, I've learned the secret. I know how to be high and I know how to be low. I know how to abound and I know how to be abased. I have learned the secret. I can do all things through Christ 
which strengthens me. Christ is our peace. He is our hope. He is our secret. Our circumstances sometimes will be good and sometimes will be awful. So I would encourage you, are you at peace with your circumstances? And finally, and probably most importantly, are you at peace with God? What I mean there is, do you have a relationship with Him? Because the peace that the angels, the heavenly hosts sing about is the peace for those with whom God is pleased. Those who are, going back to the language of Isaiah 11, those who are not the wicked but who are the righteous. Going back to another prophet in Malachi, those who fear His name and willingly submit themselves and surrender themselves to His reign over their life. See, Paul is clear and the New Testament is clear. There is coming a day when he will return in power and glory with a sword, the sword of his word that will strike down the wicked. Isaiah 11 spoke of that time that would come, the peace that was going to come unlike any peace the world had ever seen and still unlike any peace the world has ever seen. But he will strike down those who oppose his rule and reign. So I want to ask very clearly, while we are still on this earth, we have a chance to surrender ourselves to his reign. So would you confess your sin and repent of sin? It's not that you're perfect. It's not that you will be perfect. But would you confess and repent and believe in the gospel and submit to follow him with all that you have? Listen, church, I want to encourage each of us. I I don't know what will happen in our world. I don't know what will happen in the rest of 2020. I don't know what will happen in 2021. This week, you know, with public health guidance, speaking of gatherings and in-person gatherings, there was that discussion again between staff and deacon leadership of what, what, what do we do? And we made the decision that we made to, to suspend Sunday school just because of tighter quarters. But we did not want to go virtual only because we feel like the gathering together of the saints is important. Physical safety is very important, but spiritual health is very important too. And as a church, we want to continue to be on mission because the fields are white unto harvest. There is a world that is desperate for hope, like we spoke of last week, and desperate for peace. And they will not find peace in a political party, in a presidential candidate, in a vaccine, in anything else. The things that our world is longing for and that we should pray for. I'm not saying, I, I want this, I, I'm, I'm tired of wearing masks, amen? I want us to get to a place where that's true. But listen, none of that stuff will fix what the world needs. And you and I have the truth and we can't retreat into a corner and not be concerned with what God has called us to be concerned with. So I want to just encourage you, do you have peace with your neighbor? Do you have peace with your circumstances? Do you have peace with God this morning? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for peace. Peace, God, that we know our world is so desperate for. Peace that we can read and study scripture and see that Israel was desperate for. 
God, I pray that each individual knows peace with you. God, I pray that we know peace with our neighbor. That if our neighbor has anything against us, God, that you would bring that to mind and help us to mend uh, personal relationships. God, I pray, uh, Lord, in our circumstances, God, we have no control over them. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, find contentment and, Lord, ultimately to find peace with you. Lord, that we know you, that we've trusted you, that we've repented of sins. Lord, I pray if there's anyone that needs to respond in faith this morning, that you would speak, that you would, God, reveal that to us. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with us for a hymn of invitation?